Welcome to Taiwan Report News Brief, news analysis and context from Taichung, Taiwan. I'm Donovan Smith. All right, up today in the program, three sets of statistics show how society is changing and how it isn't. Some political polling has shown some interesting results. The KMT takes a sharp pro-U.S. turn, and it's big. And we'll kick off with some headlines, but first I'd like to note that I'm the co-organizer of the Compass Food and Music Festival coming up on October 17th and 18th. So until about a week after the festival, there will be somewhat fewer shows from me than normal. Overall consumer confidence improved for the fourth consecutive month in September, but investors' faith in the stock market slipped. Manufacturing activity in Taiwan expanded in September for the third consecutive month, the strongest growth in more than two years. The government said it was driven in part by the launch of new smartphones and automobiles. That was matched by export growth, which grew by more than 9% in September from a year earlier, reaching a quarterly high in the third quarter, driven mainly by electronics. According to the Ministry of Labor, the number of furloughed workers in Taiwan dropped by over 29% last week, the biggest fall since the pandemic began. The Council of Agriculture has announced starting on January 1st next year, imported rice that is found to contain Taiwanese variants used without approval is to be banned. They cited a case of a Taiwanese variant found in imported Vietnamese rice. The rice imported from Vietnam last year was found to contain rice variety Tainan number 11, which has not been approved for export. The central government is set to double the child care subsidy for households with young children up to the age of four starting next year, rising from 2,500 NT to 5,000 per month. Combined with local government subsidies, the amount may help seriously defray the cost of having young children, though there is no doubt a lot of paperwork. Taiwan's population is expected to contract this year and has one of the lowest birth rates in the world. Following the Sogol bribery scandal that has seen several lawmakers detained and investigated, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle have proposed laws in response. The KMT and the Taiwan People's Party lawmakers said that they are planning to draft amendments to the Lobbying Act to tackle low fines and a lack of government enforcement, which they claim are the two main reasons for the act's ineffectiveness. Meanwhile, DPP legislators have proposed amendments seeking to strip convicted legislators of their position if they have to serve time in prison. The Ministry of Education has earmarked 3.61 billion NT for bilingual education in all grades before college nationwide over the next two years, with funding sourced from the Forward-Looking Infrastructure Development Program. In related news, the Ministry of Education aims to have 90% of doctoral degree courses, 70% of master's degree courses, and 50% of undergraduate courses at four universities taught in English within the next few years. The Interior Ministry has announced that Taiwan will begin issuing new electronic ID cards 
around the country in the middle of next year after trial runs in certain locations. Many experts have expressed privacy and hacking concerns over the long-delayed ID cards. The MOI says the trials will help ensure the cards are secure. Now, three sets of statistics show how society is changing and how it isn't. According to the Directorate General of Budget Accounting and Statistics, the average age of workers in Taiwan was 40.2 years as of the end of last year, up 0.1 years from a year earlier. Since 2012, the average age of Taiwan's labor force has increased by 1.2 years. Taiwan's workforce has been shrinking for a few years now due to years of low birth rates and Taiwanese taking jobs overseas, especially in China. One of the reasons for taking jobs overseas is overwork for relatively low pay. According to a Minister of Labor report, Taiwanese worked the fourth longest hours among nationals in 39 countries around the world in 2019. The average number of hours worked in Taiwan last year was 2,028, which is five less than 2018, trailing only Singapore, Mexico, and Costa Rica. That looks good compared to Singapore, which topped the list with 2,324 hours, though wages are generally better there. Things are slowly getting better. From 2009 to 2019, Taiwan's average annual work time has fallen by 92 hours. Overwork isn't just a problem at work, though. On average, women face significantly more work in the home. According to the Ministry of Health and Welfare, last year, females aged 15 to 64 spent an average of 4.41 hours doing uncompensated household work, compared with an average of 3.81 hours per day in 2016. Their standard defines uncompensated work as work regular uh, as uncompensated as work, regular house, housework such as laundry, cooking, cleaning, and so on, as well as caring for underage children and elderly family members. Males living in the same household as the females surveyed did an average of 1.48 hours per day of housework. On regular housework alone, the average woman spent an average of 2.22 hours per day last year, compared with the 0.73 hours their partners spent on it. 2.22 hours a day seems high to me as I keep my place pretty clean and live alone, but then my apartment is small and I don't cook every meal. While every household has their own individual circumstances, that women are doing on average three times more work in the home suggests that traditional gender roles are playing a role here. It also suggests that on top of their heavy workload at their jobs, they must be very tired. Some polling has shown some interesting results in what Taiwanese are thinking right now. Starting with basic national identity, the latest poll by Taiwan Think Tank found that only 2% of respondents consider themselves Chinese. 62.6% said they are Taiwanese, and 32.6% said both. Among those who said both, when asked to choose only one nationality, 86% chose Taiwanese, 6.3% selected Chinese, and 1.1% repeated both. 4.9% answered no opinion or don't know, while another 1.1% refused to answer. 
For some reason, I'm very curious at the 6% that didn't give an answer. That's over 1 in 20 people who seem confused about their identity. The poll also showed that 80.5% support Taiwan's participation in international organizations and events under the name Taiwan, while only 12% were opposed. When asked what name Taiwan should use when engaging in foreign affairs, 51.2% answered Taiwan. 33% responded Republic of China, 9.7% opted for Chinese Taipei, 2% favored Taiwan, Penghu, Jinmen, and other areas, 0.1% chose other, 2.9% had no opinion, 0.5% refused to answer, and only 0.6% selected Taipei, China. Strangely, 6% seemed confused about their identity, but only 3.9% seemed confused about what their country should be called. Maybe all that overwork has scrambled their brains. As for what should be defined as the country's territory, according to the Constitution, 82.1% agreed it should be Taiwan, Penghu, Jinmen, and Mazu area, with only 5.2% disagreeing. 12% said they didn't know or had no opinion. On party identification, 35.3% picked the DPP, 16.9% chose the KMT, 9.2% identified with the TPP, 4.5% backed the New Power Party, 4% picked the Taiwan State Building Party, and the People's First Party and the New Party both only came in at 0.3%. Now, there's some interesting results here. The KMT continues to be weak with their support less than half of the DPP. Their traditional pan-blue partners, the PFP and NP, which both used to be significant players, are essentially dead. It's also interesting that PFP support has collapsed so dramatically to tie with the NP, which collapsed into obscurity years ago. The PFP had a legislative caucus all the way up to the elections this year when they failed to reach the 5% level of support to get party list seats. Now, it's also interesting that nearly one in 10 people now supports the TPP, which is pretty new and still largely unformed party. On the other end of the political spectrum, it looks like the NPP has taken some hits from recent scandals and disunity. The Taiwan State Building Party seems to have picked up some of that support and is nearly tied with them now. On the U.S. election, in a poll taken in late September, 53% thought it would be better for Taiwan if President Donald Trump is re-elected, with only 16.4% feeling the same about Democratic nominee Joe Biden. On who they thought would win, 49.1% thought Trump would be re-elected, with 23.7% thinking it would go to Biden. The KMT has just made a sharp pro-U.S. turn that has stunned the political world. The KMT Legislative Caucus introduced two resolutions that call for U.S. military aid in combating aggression by the Chinese Communist Party and a resumption of diplomatic relations between the U.S. and Taiwan. Both were quickly passed unanimously. That's almost unheard of in the fractious legislative UN. On the first resolution, the Taiwan News helpfully translated this portion. 
In order to strengthen the national security of the Republic of China and improve national defense readiness so that the status quo of the Taiwan Strait will not be changed by arbitrary actions on one side. It went on to recommend the Tsai Ing-wen government should actively persuade the U.S. government to act in accordance with the spirit of its Taiwan Relations Act. Once the CCP threatens Taiwan security and socioeconomic system at the request of the Taiwan government, it will regard the aforementioned CCP's actions as a threat to peace and stability in the Western Pacific and assist our country resist through diplomatic, economic, and direct military methods. And this is from the second resolution. The Tsai Ing-wen government should take the restoration of diplomatic relations between the U.S. and the Republic of China as the objective of diplomacy with the United States and actively promote it. Now, Premier Su Zhenzang said of the move, finally, the KMT is succumbed to its conscience. Conscience, it is a good thing, but we need to take it step by step in improving bilateral relationship. As a political maneuver, this was genius on the part of the KMT. Now, I know what many of you are thinking. Wait, isn't Taiwan the pro-China party? Well, not exactly. As KMT Chair Johnny Cheng put it, close with the U.S., peace with the mainland has always guided KMT policy. Since Chiang Kai-shek died, that is fairly accurate. While in office, President Ma Ying-jeou put in considerable efforts into improving ties with China, but largely kept the U.S. relationship stable. Some have portrayed this move as an entirely cynical move against the DPP, and that's the only reason the elderly deep blue KMT lawmakers got behind it. That's part of it, but I think the picture is more complicated than that. China's recent bullying behavior and constant military intrusions and badgering of Taiwan played a role, and this was cited in the resolutions. Now, this may be the biggest shift in the KMT strategy. Up through the election, the KMT strategy was to blame all tensions with China on President Tsai and the DPP. If only the KMT were in power, this would all go away. That strategy failed miserably because it ignored the reality of China's bad behavior. Now, by acknowledging reality and tackling it head-on, the party is now more credible. Johnny Chang recently got roundly defeated in his attempt to get rid of the 1992 consensus under opposition from conservative elements in the party led by Ma Ying-jeou. However, there hasn't been a peep of opposition to these resolutions from anyone significant in the KMT. So how did Chang get the party on board? Now, the younger reformers in Chang's camp have been calling for a more pro-U.S. stance to bring the party in line with public opinion. So Chang had no work to do there. For the older lawmakers and opinion leaders, history plays a big part here. They're old enough to remember one of the KMT's most humiliating defeats, the loss of U.S. diplomatic recognition, which Premier Su tartly reminded them of in his comments. At the time, there were big, somewhat violent protests at the time. Most of the, these old KMT members probably genuinely would like to have diplomatic ties restored between the U.S. and the Republic of China. Notice they didn't use Taiwan, but instead, instead highlighted the ROC here. That is intentional. It both keeps the KMT on board and puts pressure on the DPP to keep the ROC name. It also puts, puts the Tsai administration in a tough spot.
In the wake of U.S. Congressman Tom Tiffany's proposal to reestablish ties with Taiwan, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu, in an interview with NPR on September 22nd, said Taiwan wasn't working to reestablish diplomatic ties, though he said there was a lot of room for improved ties. The president is also known to take a very cautious, methodical approach to diplomacy, and a big open push from the Taiwan side on this would inevitably infuriate Beijing. She'd probably prefer it come from the U.S. side. So not only is this complicating her diplomatic efforts, it also plays directly into tensions within the DPP. There are many in the party who dislike her cautious approach and want her to make more more dramatic steps. So in one fell swoop, the KMT has seized the initiative, moved back into the mainstream of public opinion on this issue, made it look strong and decisive, helped strengthen the nation's ties to the ROC, and threw a wrench into the Tsai administration's plans. So, will it actually help? On the first resolution, it just might. It gives the president political cover for more arms purchases from the U.S. and getting the special budgets from the legislature needed to fund them. On the second one, it also just might. It clearly signals that all political parties in the legislature are for restoring diplomatic ties. And on the U.S. side, there has been more open discussion on the possibility as more and more realize the one China policy is a fiction foisted on the U.S. by the Chinese to no good end. However, the ones in power on both sides will so far, at least so far, seem to be sticking to a more, as Premier Su put it, step-by-step approach. Of course, the wild card here is how would the PRC respond? China's official Taiwan Affairs Office spokeswoman urged those responsible in the KMT to differentiate between right and wrong. The KMT must not engage in actions that harm the fundamental interests of Chinese and the peace and stability of cross-strait relations, she told reporters. To which Johnny Chang replied, the KMT certainly knows the difference between right and wrong as safeguarding the ROC's existence and sovereignty and protecting peace and security in the Taiwan Strait brings the most benefit to people. He also noted that more than half of Taiwanese think the U.S. should help defend Taiwan, so the KMT's proposal was a reflection of public sentiment, adding that if the KMT were in power, tensions would not be so high. While China's TAO gave a peeved response, Of course, they left it to that beacon of journalistic, hyperventilated propaganda, the Global Times, to really let loose. Judging from such a loser mentality of the KMT, it is clear that we must not count on them for future cross-straits peace and national reunification. On the upside, these politicians' treachery have helped the Chinese mainland see clearly what is happening on the island. We must no longer hold any more illusions. The only way forward is for the mainland to fully prepare itself for war and to give Taiwan secessionist forces a decisive punishment at any time. As the secessionist forces' arrogance continues to swell, the historical turning point is getting closer. I'd like to give a warm shout out to Frank, who's joined us as a patron on Patreon. Your support means a lot to us, Frank. Many thanks. All right. Hit like and subscribe and all that good stuff and tune in for the next show.
This has been brought to you by the Taiwan Report. For more content like this, become our patron at report.tw.